0: Thank you to uh, the worship team with uh, youth leading this morning as well. Thank you for leading us in worship. And I look forward to these next moments spending in the word of God. Isaiah chapter 33, if you would uh, open a Bible, if you have one, whether uh, a printed copy or if you have one on a phone or tablets, feel free. Uh, If you have a copy of God's Word in one way, shape, or form, open to the book of Isaiah, to Isaiah chapter 33. Uh, This morning we talk about the holiness of God. So we've been continuing in this series and we are almost done with it uh, using the book by A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy, as a guide. Interesting that this morning, the knowledge of the holy, we are desiring to encounter the holiness of God, understand the holiness of God this morning, and uh, the whole premise of the book is uh, the higher our view of God, the more we stand in awe, the more we are able to get a vision of him, the more we see him as he is, our view of him lifted up more and more, the more we are changed by him, the more our awe grows, the more our hunger and desire for him grows. Um And so we've been seeking to allow the Lord uh, to lift our view of him as we get a a greater understanding of who he is. Not who we think he is, but who he reveals himself to be in Scripture. Uh, So for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the love of God. And uh, then last week, the need to love others. You can't separate a loving God and his love from uh, loving others and and so we've talked in the last several weeks about the love of God and often we like the idea of the love of God that's been demonstrated so powerfully for us in Christ in the work of salvation while we were yet sinners God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were yet sinners Christ died for us salvation has come to us because of the love of God but holiness sometimes makes us unsettled Holiness sometimes makes us unsettled because God is holy and we are not. We'll look through this this morning. But it's needed. An understanding a a, a high view of the holiness of God is needed or else we don't appreciate the amazingness of his love. We, We can easily get kind of... Small in our focus or we, we get heavy on one attribute of God and, and weaker or lighter on another. We need the fullness of who God is. And so we spent some time on the love of God but we need to really get a vision and a picture and encounter the holiness of God this morning. So to begin, start at what may seem like a weird place and that is Taco Bell tacos. <laughs> So when, when I was in high school, there was a, a, a new Taco Bell that went in right at the bottom of the road where the high school was. And it was like the thing to do. After school, um, you know, if you had a car, if you're old enough, you would drive to the Taco Bell. Uh, if you weren't old enough to drive, you know, you walked to the Taco Bell. It was only like half a mile away from the school. And everyone would go to Taco Bell after. And that was in the, in the days when it was 49-cent tacos. And, you know, I'm, I'm growing. My appetite is just, like, through the roof as a, as a teenage boy. And so you'd go, and your afternoon snack would be a six-pack of 49-cent tacos at Taco Bell. And just, you just hammer those things. It was just a snack. If you wanted a meal, it was, like, a, a dozen, dozen and a half, maybe two dozen, you know. 49-cent taco. You can just hammer Oh, too fast. My hand hit the thing. Taco, so, so I was just in love with Taco Bell tacos. And then in 2009, I went on a missions trip to, uh, spoiler has already gone out there. I went on a missions trip to Mexico and I was introduced to Al Pastor tacos. Now that may look like, what in the world is that thing? You, you may have seen it. If you've been to like taqueria, uh, Taqueria's today, they often have... Al pastor tacos. And the way it is, at the bottom, this little area here, that is a pineapple, and that's another piece of pineapple. So they would get the bottom of a pineapple, and then up top, they put a top of a pineapple. And these are slices of pork. And they put it on this skewer, and they're just like pushing these slices of pork down with the pineapple on the bottom and the pineapple on the top and just spinning it around on a roaster. Slow roasting this with the pineapple juices, marinating it sounds disgusting maybe. But then they would come along and you see that knife, they would just shave off small portions, small chunks of this meat. If you're into like shawarma, it's the same kind of way they cook shawarma, that idea. So here we are. And like every taqueria you went to in Mexico had these. They were all just like all over the place. And here is the end result taco meat, al pastor tacos, with the chicken or the pork, whatever, however they did, some, usually it's pork, but then there's, there's pico de gallo, you know, there's, it's tomato and onion and lime juice, jalapenos in there, cilantro, fresh cilantro, and I know I may offend people. Once I had those, there's no going back to those. And and I have nothing against Taco Bell. But, but once you've had those, even if it was 49 cents today for a taco, I'm still gonna be like, I don't know if I want a Taco Bell taco because I have tasted what tacos were intended to be. My my view of tacos just went through the roof. Go to any taqueria around here. Find a good taqueria around here. We can give you some, I don't want to, we'll give you some good options around here. But, But this is tacos. You're like, where is he going with this? Tozer, in talking about holiness, he makes the point. He makes the point that sin and brokenness has so infected our world in our lives that we've just become accustomed to unholiness that's like the bar unholiness is the bar like he talks about how you know our 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 celebrities our government politicians everybody that we hold up and we look at and even just our own regular lives you know church leader how the, the bar we've just set and we've just accepted unholiness as, well, that's just the way it is. And Tozer talks about the idea that because we don't expect a lot, you know, and, and still people do great things still. The image of God is there. So even in our brokenness, there's, there's good things that happen. But, but we just kind of become accustomed to this, and, and this is like still a terrible illustration, but, but the level is so much higher to what we should be expecting. And, and he talks about the fact that it even just spills over into how we even view God. Our, our view of God, we say, oh, he's holy, and we might sing worthy, but our view of him has been brought down. Because what we are living in on a day in and day out basis is just this low view of holiness. Sin has so infected the world and so infected life and that we just have this low view, this low expectation. And then the holiness of God comes into view. And so this morning, if, if nothing else, we just want to have our view of God lifted up a little bit higher, a view of his holiness lifted up, that our expectation of what we, we should expect and who he is should, should be lifted this morning as we look into his word. We want to get that vision of holiness, particularly of who God is, so that we don't ever settle for a low view. And that our view of him just gets higher and higher and higher. There are some sermon notes in your bulletin. You can look and uh, fill that in. with. There's some more stuff on the screen if you want to take more notes. But two main things we'll look at this morning with the holiness of God. And then we want to spend some time just seeking to encounter him. First is to understand the holiness of God. And really we want to look at four truths this morning about his holiness. Four truths. The first truth is this. God's holiness sets him apart. <clears throat> God's holiness sets him apart. Apart, If you're in Isaiah chapter 33 verse 5, he's talking about all these things, these woes that have been coming to the people of God, how judgment was coming, but how this new kingdom of righteousness is coming, the new kingdom of holiness is coming. And in the midst of all these things, the destruction and the plagues and all of these things, there's this interlude in verses 5 and 6, and he says this to the Lord, the Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with, righteous, with justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. God's holiness, from the first part of verse five, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. His holiness sets him apart. He's exalted, he's lifted up, he's enthroned, he's dwelling on high. It's not a matter of of distance. We talked about this in the message on the attribute of transcendence. It's not so much about a. he is high, exalted, that he's up there, out there, far away because the Lord still, he comes to us, he's near. So it's not a matter of distance as much as it is a matter of distinctiveness, as much as it is a matter of otherness. He's set apart from us. He's not like us. We are created in his image, so we are like him. He is not like us. And sometimes when we have this low view of God, we kind of try to explain him in view of us. He's other than us. He is set apart from us. He is distinct from us from us. He's in a whole other category than us. He's God. He's holy. This week I had a, a doctor's appointment and I was talking to the nurse before I saw the doctor and this nurse, her son played baseball at North Allegheny. We were talking and she found out I had played baseball and said "Oh, her, her son had played baseball at North Allegheny and he played baseball. If, you're, if you follow baseball at all in this area, he played baseball with a young man by the name of Cole Young. Who just graduated from North Allegheny and was drafted in the first round of the Major League Baseball draft by the Seattle Mariners. And so for a high school kid to be drafted in the first round, there's something special about a player like that. And she talked about the fact that he was the nicest kid. He grew up, her son, this kid, they grew up together and knew the families. said all these things. He was so nice, but he's, She said, from the beginning of the days when we would play baseball, you always knew there was something different about him. He was just in another class. He was in another level. He just stood out from everyone else. You knew he was destined to go on to do something really, really good in baseball because he just stood out. He was in a whole other class. And, And that's, In a small way, what we're talking about here, in the set-apartness, the otherness of God. He's just in a whole other category. He is completely set-apart. Holiness means he is set-apart from us. He doesn't fit into our boxes. He doesn't fit into our categories. He is completely other and set-apart. And because he is set-apart in this way, he's also set-apart from sin, because holiness is also about moral purity. It's also about moral purity. You see this in verse, the second half of verse 5. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. Because of his holiness, he will fill Zion or Jerusalem with justice and righteousness. These terms all mixed together. The justice of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. They're all together because God is absolutely morally pure. There is no sin in him. There is no darkness in him. There is no evil in him. He is completely separate from sin, from any form of impurity. He's completely other than us. And and, and we just can't even begin to comprehend that because everything we know, everyone we know, Everything we know about ourselves is we are infected that the presence of sin, even when we come to Christ as our Savior and our Lord, there's still these two natures at work. There's the spirit and there's the flesh at work, so there's still always sin at work within us and sin at work without us. We can't even begin to comprehend someone that is without sin. One reason for the law that God established was so that people would have an understanding of what the high bar is for moral purity. This is what it looks like to walk with me. <laughs> here's the standard. Here's where you guys come some most of the time, but here's the standard. This is, this is what it means to come with me, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Tozer talked about the idea that our temptation is to find the best person or the best thing that we can and just try to elevate it. <laughs> just try to make it better when we think about the holiness of God. Try to compare apples to apples. Try to compare Cole Young to everyone else. Here, here, here's, here's the apples and then here's a really, really good apple. No, it, it's not that at all. He's so set apart. He's so morally perfect. He's so completely other than us that he, he's not even an apple. <laughs> Everyone else, we're we're, we're trying to compare things here and we're trying just to find what's the best one among among the bunch here to to lift that up and to be able to say this is what God is like. And no, God is even higher than all of this. He transcends all of it. He's more holy than all of this. He's the reference point, not we're the reference point. (laughs) He's the reference point. It's impossible really to compare him to something because his nature and his being is so pure that we really have no reference point to even get close to. His purity and his set-apartness are just in another category, the holiness of God, which causes us to go to this fourth truth. If you're in Isaiah 34, just back a few pages to Isaiah chapter 6. We talked about this passage when we looked at the transcendence of God. We walked through this passage together, but two more truths from this passage about understanding the holiness of God. God's holiness sets him apart. God's holiness is his moral purity, and God's holiness is terrifying. Isaiah sees this vision of God in the throne room of God and it says, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Imagine, Isaiah saw the Lord in this vision, seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Just the outer edge of his robe fills the temple. And above him were seraphs, these angelic beings, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. They're covering their faces because even these holy sinless seraph beings these angelic beings can't even look upon the glory of god until they're flying and they're calling to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory anytime you see truly truly jesus says verily verily whatever it is whenever you see something said twice it's a hey pay attention truly truly pay attention There's something really important coming. But imagine here, we have not once, not twice, but three times. Holy, holy, holy. In other words, God is really, really, really holy. We saw that in where we started in in Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy. There's this call out, holy, holy, holy. Holy. Is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, not even the voice of God, but the do- voice of seraphs, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Can you imagine? This had to be absolutely terrifying. You know, we spent these weeks on the love of God because the Lord wants us to come close. He wants us to sit in his lap in intimacy and to receive his love. But there's also this reality that when we really get a vision of God, we also understand this God is terrifying. And and that's not a bad thing. If God, if there is not the holiness of God that causes us to be like, oh my goodness, then, then God just becomes a buddy, a little chum that we can hang out with and we can show up once in a while because he's just our friend and, you know, friends are going to be friends and we're going to have levels of friendship and so we, we may not treat him with that. You know, we'll show up when we need something from him. We'll show up when we want to hang out. Our schedule frees up. No, if we get a vision of God we recognize, he is terrifying. And that doesn't discount his love in any way. That doesn't discount his mercy and his grace in any way. That just means we get a vision of God. He's terrifying. He's terrifying. So much so that when we understand his holiness makes us terrified, we understand the reason why, and it's because it exposes our unholiness. Verse 5, Isaiah has this response, Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. Literally, I, I am completely torn apart. I am completely undone. There's nothing left that I can stand on. I am completely ruined. I, there's, nothing bef- there's nothing I can bring before this holy God. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah's unholiness was exposed when he encountered the holiness of God. He's undone. His holiness is so bright, so intense, so pure, so set apart that No one can stand in the presence of God and live. This is is God. This is his holiness. You know, theologians will often say that if there's one chief attribute of God, it's his holiness. Everything else kind of flows from that. So, So imagine, this is the God- who is set apart, who is morally pure, who when we understand and get a vision of him, every, every time he showed up, when he showed up on Mount Sinai, the people are freaking out. When the temple is dedicated and they offer the sacrifice and fire falls from heaven and, and consumes it, the people shout for joy, it says, and then they fall down on their faces and worship face down in fear. There's something about when the presence of God comes, John, when he sees Jesus, Jesus is in this room when he sees Jesus in Revelation 1, he gets a vision of the glorified Jesus. He falls on his face as though dead. There's something about when humanity gets a vision of God that that we're not like, yay, let's go hang out. There's something about it that just we go, boom, down on our faces because we get a vision of someone that is not like us. I don't know if you've ever experienced even just being in the presence of someone who, who has higher stature, higher position. You know, they, they carry a weight of authority with them. You know, and you're like, wow, that, that person. I kind of feel small in their presence. Nothing. Nothing in comparison to being in the presence of God. Sir Isaac Newton once did an experiment where he stared at the sun, reflected in a mirror. So imagine the sun is here, the mirror is here. He stares at the reflection of the sun in the mirror. The brightness of the reflection of the sun in the mirror burned into his retina, and he suffered temporary blindness. So much so that even after this happened, he went and he hid in a closet for three days in complete darkness. And still, all he could see was the bright spot that he had looked at in the mirror. He said, I used all of my means to divert my imagination from the sun. In other words, I tried to look and think of something else, but all he he saw was that vision of the sun burned into his eyes. It wouldn't fade. For three days, it wouldn't fade. We now understand that if he had stared for even just a few moments longer, he probably would have permanently lost his vision forever because the chemical receptors that govern eyesight cannot, re- cannot withstand the full force of unfiltered sunlight. And that is this: the creation of the one who shines In brightness beyond anything that we can even begin to comprehend. This is the the God we come to worship. (laughs) And this is the God who calls us into his presence to worship him. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with a God like this? Well, he still has created us to engage him, (laughs) to engage this holy God. So we're we're gonna look quickly at four scriptures together. So you might do some flipping with your fingers or if you have a phone, you're gonna be able to go much quicker. But the first is 1 Peter chapter one. 1 Peter chapter one. So if you go all the way to the end of the New Testament, come to Revelation make your way back just a little ways come to Jude then 3 short John letters and then you run into 2nd First Peter First Peter chapter 1 verses 15 and 16 Peter writes this First Peter 1 verse 15 and 16 it says but just as he who called you is holy So be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. When we engage the holiness of God, we understand that holiness is required by God. Peter is quoting Leviticus chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 20. Jesus, when he talked about perfection in the Sermon on the Mount, In Matthew chapter 5, he said, Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. There is a standard for what does it take to come into the presence of the Holy God? It requires perfection. Be perfect requires holiness because the one who calls us is holy. If he is holy, then to come into his presence, it requires holiness. To be set apart to be morally pure in all that we say and all that we do because that is who he is. He is set apart. He is morally pure in all that he says and does. There's no darkness. There's no evil. There's no sin in him. And he requires that to come into his presence that we must be the same. A holy God cannot accept unholiness. Unholiness. I don't know about you, but that completely disqualifies me. And the reality of what the scriptures say is it disqualifies every one of you too and everyone on the face of the earth. Is there's no one righteous, no not one. All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. The standard is perfection but none of us hit it. This is a significant problem. But thankfully, God is the solution. Because what he does is he does this word. He imputes holiness to us. He imputes holiness to us. What does that mean? Imputed means that God declares over us that we are positionally holy in Christ. If you would turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, to 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 21. God does this amazing work on our behalf through Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians five, verse 21, it says God, and understand this is the holy God made him, and he's speaking of Jesus, made him, made Jesus, who had no sin, the Son of God, fully holy and without sin, to be sin, some translations would say, or to become a sin offering for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, what God did in the person of Jesus is because he is holy and cannot accept unholiness, he offers his holy, perfect son who became for us at the cross a sin offering. All of our sin placed on Christ. So that when he died, the 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 justice of God, the righteousness of God, the wrath of God, the holiness of God would be satisfied in the person of Christ. There needed to be a sacrifice. A holy, pure, perfect sacrifice had to be made. And that is what Jesus was, and that is what Jesus did. He offered as the sin of the world was laid upon him on, on him. And he died, and his blood shed and was raised three days later, he took our unholiness. The Holy One, taking our unholiness so that all who would repent of their sin, who would place their faith in Christ, that God would impute, he would put in us, he would change our nature to become positionally holy. (laughs) Not because I am, but because he is. So that now he can say, come into my presence. Come into my presence. When I see you, I see Jesus. The righteousness, the holiness of God being counted for us. In Christ. Hallelujah. None of us can even begin to muster the ability to stand in the presence of a holy God without the Holy One, the Lord Jesus, standing for us and His holiness being imputed upon us by God. We receive this by faith without any of our earning, without any of our deserving. It is a change in our status before God. He makes us holy. But he doesn't stop there because holiness then is imparted to us by God. These two words, imputed and imparted to us. If you flip back to right around the area we were just a few moments ago, now to 2 Peter. To 2 Peter chapter one, verses three through four. Same writer who said, be holy, as I am holy, quoted Leviticus, Peter now says this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us... His very great and precious promises, so that through them, listen to this, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. What's he saying? He's saying not only has he made us positionally holy in Christ, he has now given us all of the power and the means necessary by the very power of God through the Holy Spirit to participate in the divine nature and to escape all of the corruption of the world. It's holiness. To be able to participate in holiness and to live set apart from all that is unholy, God has given us and imparted to us power to be able to live this way. Impartation is what God gives us to live holy in a progressively ongoing, increasing way in Christ. If you would read on and This summer, my father-in-law, Phil Harrison, preached on this passage. And there are clearly things that we add to it. We add to things, to all of this. We add to our faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. And he unpacked all seven of those attributes for us. So there's clearly some work that we do. Positional Salvation, having it, holiness, having it imputed to God, there's nothing we can do to earn or deserve it. But being imparted this, the power to do it, there still requires some effort. Dallas Willard says that grace and this working with God, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. (laughs) So there's still going to be stuff that we're going to have to do and work and cooperate with the power of God to allow the holiness of God to infiltrate our lives more and more. Holiness is imputed to us by God and it is imparted to us by God. And lastly, it is accomplished by God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify or make you holy through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. In all of this, God, the Holy One, is the one who accomplishes holiness in us because he imputes it to us, he imparts the power to do it, and God himself is the one who keeps us and who makes us holy as we cooperate with him until the day that our Savior returns. All of this is the work of God in us. He requires holiness but he makes us holy in Christ and he gives us the ability to live with increasing holiness by his spirit. It's all about him. I was reflecting on this this week and thinking back to what I heard growing up. I heard be holy, be holy, be holy. Be holy, be holy, be holy, be holy, be holy, be holy, be holy. <laughs> Sometimes it felt like on Sundays it was a broken record. The pastor was just heavy on holiness, holiness, holiness. But you know what I never got? And I don't, I don't know that necessarily he never said it. It's just I never got it. I never got the fact that God has already... In Christ, imputed us, He's made us holy, and He's given us, He's imparted to us what we need to live holy. I was trying to live holy all the time, and you know what I did? I got worn out, and I just got to the point where, even though maybe it wasn't always external, but internally, what I would do is I would just live up and sin because you know what? It was just a, I couldn't do it. I couldn't be holy. I couldn't do it. But yeah, that's what I was told. Be holy, be holy, be holy, be holy, be holy. Friends, I want you to know he has given us in his divine power everything we need for life and godliness. There's some cooperation with him, some effort we have to put in, but it's not my effort. It's his effort, his divine power as I cooperate with him, as I die to self, as I come into his presence. He does this work where his holiness begins to wear off on me. He's already imputed it. He's made me holy in my standing. But the more we spend time in the presence of God, the more we spend time in his word, the more we spend time in prayer, the more we spend time with others who are running after Jesus, his holiness just begins to wear off on us and he begins to shape us. He begins to change us. As we put our foot in the game, he puts his and his foot is much bigger than ours. He's the holy God. End with this. Tozer writes this in the chapter. He says, Only the spirit of the Holy One can impart to the human spirit the knowledge of the Holy. Yes, uh, yet as electric power flows only through a conductor, so the spirit flows through truth, and must find some measure of truth in the mind before he can illuminate the heart. Faith wakes at the voice of truth, but responds to no other sound. As the scriptures say, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Theological knowledge, truth, is the medium through which the spirit flows into the human heart, yet There must be humble penitence in the heart before truth can produce faith. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. It's possible to have some truth in the mind without having the Spirit in the heart, but it is never possible to have the Spirit apart from truth. What's he saying? Sometimes Tozer talk so high and elevated and all these kinds of things you're like oh that sounds really nice what's he saying he's saying this (laughs) and now I'm finally getting that every Sunday when I share one of these everyone's like yeah well can't just get past this when I share these quotes (laughs) he's saying this we just looked into the truth and we just spent time getting the theological knowledge, the truth of holiness of who God is and the holiness of what is it require to engage this holy God. All this truth. But there's a measure of our humility and our penitence that comes when we come into the presence of the Lord that only the Spirit of God, he brings holiness alive. He brings revelation of, the, of who God is and of his holiness alive through truth. <laughs> Sometimes we can fill our minds with truth, but lack encounter and revelation from the Spirit. And all we have is this understanding of holiness. What we need is an encounter and a revelation of the Holy One through the truth that he has revealed to us. And the only way we get revelation from the Spirit is to stand in the presence of the Holy One and allow the Spirit of God to take the truth and to bring it to a heart level, to a soul level, to a place where the presence of the Lord comes and we encounter the Holy One. Bible study without encounter is just Bible study. That may sound heretical, but Bible study that does not have, an, that does not lead us to an encounter with the Spirit of God, just, just step, is one step short. <laughs> the scripture should lead us to an encounter with the Holy One, not just knowledge about the Holy One. Does that make sense? If I just look at a menu, if I, if, if I give you a good taqueria to go to and you go and you look at the menu and you go, okay, yep, 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 awesome. And you're out. You have not encountered tacos. You know a ton about tacos. You may have seen tacos. You may have smelled tacos, but have you had tacos? No. There requires an engagement. And sometimes what we do is we get all the knowledge about the Holy One, and then we're like, good, I'm out. You know why? Because we're scared to stand sometimes in the presence of the one who terrifies us. In the presence of the Holy One. But it's in the presence of the one who says, don't be afraid, come in. I've made a way through my son, the Lord Jesus. Come in, come in, come in. That what we learn about him becomes what changes us and becomes resident in us. His holiness begins to flow and we begin to be changed by the Holy One. But it takes stepping in to the presence. Through the truth, it takes stepping in. So we want to spend just these last couple moments just engaging the presence of the Lord. That, that may look like as you're singing, that as we sing these songs, you're just singing these words back to the Lord and saying, Lord, come, come. It may mean that there's a part of, of this message, there's an aspect of holiness that, that really just is on your heart and you say, Lord, I need this, I need this. Maybe you're reflecting, meditating on that. Lord, I need to know you in this way. The Spirit of God knows what each of us needs as we come into his presence, that the Spirit would take the truth and would bring it to our our lives. So Father, we do desire to know you and encounter you, the Holy One. That the knowledge of the Holy would not just be... information that we know. God, we need the truth. And we receive the truth. And we study the truth. But God, we need to know even more the one who is truth. We need to know not just about the holiness of God. We need to know the one who is holy. So Father, we, we come to step into the presence of the one. And we welcome the presence of the one who is holy. Knowing that in Christ, you welcome us. You've made a way. You've made a way for the standard of be holy as I am holy, for the standard to be met. You've made a way through Christ. And so, by faith, according to the truth of your word, we step towards you through Christ. Holy Spirit in these moments, may we come to encounter the one who is holy. Change us as we do. In Jesus' name. Amen.